What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. We turn next to the countywide DA race. We are joined by the winner there, Pamela Price, um, who is now the first African-American district attorney of Alameda County and only the second woman to hold that seat. Good morning, District Attorney Price. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Uh Alameda County. Thanks for coming on the show. I imagine you are very, very busy uh, fielding uh, interview requests and calls. Um, how are you feeling this morning? It's been a long I'm race. Blessed. It's been a long race. It's been quite a journey and adventure up and down every campaign, as you know, is an adventure. But I'm blessed and highly favored, and I've always been felt that and known that and and so that's where I'm at today I'm you know staying calm and focused and getting ready for what we got to do Pamela Price you you've made history uh you are the first African American district attorney um of Alameda County what is the significance of that for you specifically given the fact that district attorneys historically have not been friends to the African American community and you're coming in with a much more progressive agenda Well, that's why we ran, was because we know that district attorneys have not been friendly to the African-American community. And my election reflects not only a sea change in terms of my identity, but more importantly, reflects a sea change in terms of the whole perspective about how we administer justice. And that was the point that we can have an administration of justice and someone who's administering justice from a completely different perspective. So I'm excited about that. Across the bridge, we saw a very different outcome, right? We saw the more right-wing, conservative, pro-cop, pro-war on drugs 2.0 candidate take the seat. And I, I think folks are really holding their breath that that might trend uh, on, on this side of the bridge as well. It did not, even though, I mean, it's not just Oakland that elected you, right? It's all of Alameda County, which definitely has conservative pockets. What do you think was different on, on our side of the bridge? Well, the thing that I had to keep saying to people, I'm not Chasa. <laughs> My name is Pamela Price. And I've been in Alameda County since 1978. We are incredibly diverse. We are dynamic. We are progressive. I have practiced law, as you know, for more than 30 years, about 40 years now. But the last 30 years as a civil rights attorney, one of the most racist courts that I ever practiced in was San Francisco Superior Court. So I was never under any illusions about San Francisco politics and how that plays out. There's so much anti-black, anti-progressive sentiment that is built into that community. We're on the opposite end. I mean, we have a diversity of thought around our politics, but overwhelmingly for the last decade, Alameda County has embraced the kinds of progressive initiatives that apply specifically to criminal justice reform. When candidates run statewide, nationally, they come here 
to determine what is the view of the people with respect to criminal justice reform. So we knew that that was a basic fundamental value that we have, that we just had not had an opportunity to bring that to bear on our criminal justice system. Okay, I, I hear you say you're not Chesa Boudin. Clearly, you all are, are two different people, but but you you do share some political ideology in terms of holding bad actors, uh, uh, in terms of police accountable, in terms of addressing prevention, in terms of diversion programs. The right across the country, not not just here in California, and certainly not just in the Bay Area, their response to election outcomes has been recall right right away. Um, no time for the candidate to even, you know, get, get their feet underneath them. Any concerns about those efforts coming your way sooner than later? We anticipate that, you know, there's folks out there. I mean, one local black... Uh, not elected, but community leader has even verbalized that, that, that they're going to do a recall. And people have had that fear. Um, you know, I don't walk by fear and we can't walk by fear. I've dealt with backlash since I got arrested in a civil rights demonstration when I was 13 years old. There was an incredible backlash, not only against me personally, but across the country. The backlash to the work of the Black Panther Party in Oakland was national, right? So yeah. this does not mean that we don't step forward. We can't be intimidated by what the folks who are against progress and against, you know, justice and against equality, we can't be intimidated by what they say or what they think. We still have to push forward. And folks need to understand, Chaser was one of, uh, he was like the second wave, the third wave, quite frankly, of progressive prosecutors. Larry Krasner was in the first wave in 2017. I came along in the for second him now. wave. Right, exactly. But this is what happens. I mean, there were nine of us that ran in 2018, and Chaser was not in that number. So we brought that progressive agenda to California in 2018, and then Chaser was able to carry it forward in San Francisco. That does not mean that you don't continue to push because this system is so broken and the lives of people are so impacted by this that we have to continue to press forward with a progressive agenda and just know that, yeah, there's going to be resistance. I don't anticipate a successful recall at all in Alameda (laughs) County. Right. And it's just a reminder to folks, right, that, that getting folks elected is one thing. That doesn't mean that the work stops there, right, that, that folks are going to need to continue uh, to, to, right. su- su- to support you and engage with you in that right. seat. Pamela, I want to get to a, a couple of issue questions, right? So I, I hold another hat, as you know, as the executive director of the Anti-Police Terror Project. And I know a lot of families um, that, you know, impacted by, by state violence that we work with, that, that once they heard you were elected, right, there was a hope that they inhaled. Yeah. inhaled. Um, and, and they're looking yeah. to you, right, for, for accountability for bad actors in police departments across the county. I also know that it takes a lot to hold bad acting cops accountable. If you could mm-hmm. talk to those families right now, what message do you have for them who are now looking to you for justice for their loved ones in terms of what they can expect walking forward and, and what temperance, if any, they should have to those expectations? So I am so humbled by the fact that so many people in this community, as you put it, inhaled hope with my candidacy, with my election, that all of us 
believe that we can do better, that we can be better, and that we have a hope that we can get this done. And so we crossed the first bridge. We got it done. The next step is just as hard, but at least we have the opportunity to do it. And so, yes, I am absolutely committed to holding bad cops accountable for bad acts. And I've been doing that. My first federal trial was holding bad, holding OPD accountable for something bad that they did. And so I'm, I'm very well acquainted about how to do that, why that matters, and why we have to look at each one of these departments and make sure that we're holding them to the same standard, um, a higher standard even of constitutional expectation, of respect for human life and for the people of this community, for dignity for all people, including African-Americans. We're not going to budge on that. We're not going to fudge on those lines. And those lines are going to be held not only in Oakland, but across this county. As you know, the problem is existing. When we look at Pleasanton, and a twenty-one, you know, six point million, six point six million dollar verdict for the death of Jacob Bauer. When we look at Fremont and a twenty-one million dollar verdict for the death of Elena Mondraga. I mean, these are situations where the people of the community have said this is totally unacceptable. And as my in my role as district attorney, I get to say to the administrators and the chiefs and the city managers, this conduct is unacceptable and you are no longer going to be able to burden the people of this community, either with the financial consequences or the human consequences. Mm. Not without not without accountability. I want to talk about the sheriff. <laughs> a department that has run amok for decades. And there's a new sheriff in town, your Senator Sanchez, but it seems like, I mean, just based on the way she engaged the 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 consequences or lack thereof of, of the the sheriffs that shouldn't have been sheriffs to begin with because they failed mental health exams. And and her her response was not an apology to the community, but an, an apology to those deputies. What role does your office have in holding the sheriff's department accountable? I mean, you're talking about upwards of 60 murders or deaths, depending on on how you want to phrase it, since 2014. Is there a role for your office there? Of course. The sheriff has only been able to um, have the level of inhumanity occurring at that jail because the DA has been complicit. The sheriff and the DA have walked hand in hand for decades. Yes, absolutely. For decades. And we saw it in the 2018 election where Sheriff Ahern funded uh, campaign activities, put out a significant amount of money to support Nancy O'Malley's campaign or her reelection. And in this campaign, they all came together, the deputy sheriff, the sheriff, um, the police chief to support my opponent. And there's a reason for that because they have not, the district attorney's office has not held the sheriff's department accountable. And that has to stop. I'm 
I'm optimistic, like many of us were, who elected Yesenia Sanchez to replace Greg Earhart. That was a classic example for me that all of us got the community, the voters, everybody got the memo. We got to get rid of Greg Earhart. And so we, as a community, just overwhelmingly elected Yesenia Sanchez, someone that we did not really know, um, you know, who some folks considered problematic because she was over the jail. Um, But notwithstanding that, we still elected her because we had to take that step forward. I am optimistic, hopeful that I will be able to work with Yesenia. I think, I hope that her heart is in the right place that her understanding of the policy changes that have to be made um, of the kinds of um, accountability measures that have to be instituted, that she's going to work with us to get those done. Uh, Pam, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but an issue that you and I have spent time talking about personally and, and that I've heard you talk about, um, you know, at different rallies and, and town halls, the fact that black children, black, black babies are bought and sold in broad daylight in the city of Oakland. Mm. And despite a lot of rhetoric mm-hmm. from the outgoing administration, literally no one has done anything to end this practice. How are you going to yeah. intervene? How are we going to yeah. stop the, the, the sale of black children in broad daylight in Oakland under your administration? Yeah, it is uh, It is criminal what has happened, and you're absolutely right. It's been a lot of lip service, a lot of rhetoric, and, you know, what has pained me over many, many years is that as long as it's black and brown women out there, nobody really gives a damn. That's going to change. <laughs> that is absolutely going to change. So we uh, understand that within the judicial system, there are mechanisms, some form of a mechanism called a court, <laughs> a survivor's court. Um, we're going to look at that and look at the criteria for that and look at the services and and expand the opportunities that can that can be provided through the court system. And then we're going to look at what opportunities do we have that do not depend upon incarceration or charging um, or bringing people into the system. Our goal will be to get to allow folks to have those who are survivors and who are victims and who are being exploited to give them an opportunity without being criminalized. Okay, that's one part of it. But also, like what we just talked about with the sheriff, there's enablers. And we know that just like with gun violence, there are people who are enabling things to happen with respect to trafficking in this county that have never been addressed, have never been assessed, addressed, or held accountable. And across the country, one of the new strategies that I'm familiar with and and have intend to engage with folks is where are, where's the network that makes us, that keeps us being the number three hub for, for human trafficking in this country? Where is that network and how do we disrupt that? Who is actually profiting from this? We got to stop that. So that's where I'll be looking to engage very aggressively. 
right? And, and I, just, I just have to say it loud, right? There's a difference between sex work, self-determined sex work that is done by adults and what you and I are talking about, which is the, the, the mm-hmm. buying and selling of children. Yeah. District yeah. Attorney yeah. Pamela yeah. Price, thank you for taking some minutes of your precious time this morning to come on the show and congratulations to you. Thank you so much, Kat, and, and I appreciate the work that you've done, the work that you continue to do in The Voice, and the opportunity that you give our community to have a voice. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. Thank you.